Welcome to the Zenov podcast series on hyper-intelligent automation or HIA. HIA is a technology born from the confluence of AI and RPA, evolving from a conventional automation tool to a strategic enterprise game changer. In this series, we bring to you our conversations with leading automation gurus and industry mavericks on how they are defining new possibilities and business outcomes through automation. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of the Zeno podcast Hyper Intelligent Automation series. I'm Nishchay Mittal, principal and global head of automation at Zeno and I will be your host for today. Today we have with us someone who has had a very interesting career spanning over two and a half decades working across diverse set of industries such as banking, manufacturing, pharma including working with some of the leading tech majors such as Microsoft and currently working with Spectrum Brands. Please welcome Marilyn Krishko who is currently spearheading the automation practice at Spectrum Brands and has truly taken the automation story to new heights in her current role. Besides automation, Marilyn is also deeply passionate about rowing and is also the founder for a team building company, The Rowers Code. A very warm welcome to you Marilyn, excited to host you today. Thank you. I'm really happy to be here. So without much further ado, let's jump right in. So Marilyn, uh, as we discussed, you've had a very accomplished career so far. Can you briefly walk us through your journey so far and how your trust with automation came about? Yeah, so I feel a little guilty about it because I started my career at the Federal Reserve Bank. When I was working at the Federal Reserve Bank, I was responsible for Fed deposits, and every day a lot of our banking customers would call us on the phone, right? So our phones would be ringing off the hook, and they would want to know how much they had in their Fed deposit, and they would ask us various questions. And so one day I was sitting at my desk and I thought, wouldn't it be really nice if they could call in and just push a number on their telephone, you know, or dial a number or something and it would give them the amount of their fed deposit. And so that really irritating system that exists today when you call a phone number and it says press 1 for this, press 2 for that, press 3, you know, now goes all the way up to about 9, um started with the Federal Reserve Bank. And I sometimes I feel really guilty because I also find it really frustrating when I call somewhere and I can't talk to a person. So that was my first introduction to automation. We didn't invent it. Of course another system invented that or another company invented that. Um but it was my first um part of my automation journey. Then I went to work in the paper industry and I was a salesperson and the mill that we were working with kept asking all the sales people why aren't you selling more paper you know why why aren't you sales people doing a better job and i went up um to one of our paper mills in canada and when i walked into the warehouse there was tons of paper everywhere and so i realized there was an issue with the system they thought we weren't doing enough to sell sell paper and we couldn't see that there was paper to sell in the system and that's what got me again started on a new automation journey Then I went to work at Microsoft, right? I I was at a few different companies in between that, but I went to work at Microsoft and I ended up working in modern IT. And the goal of modern IT at that time was to make things easier for people. And that was really interesting being at Microsoft. There are a lot of smart people there. They have a lot of technology, a lot of things going on, and I had an opportunity to sit right in the middle of that and interact with business users and with the people who were creating technology. And finally, 5 years ago, we moved to Madison, Wisconsin, and I had the opportunity to join Spectrum Brands and run the automation team. 
Wow, this has truly been an incredible journey, Marilyn. How you overcame several process inefficiencies in your earlier jobs. Uh, from our earlier discussions, uh, Marilyn, it is very evident that you have a very keen interest for rowing. Uh, can you shed some light on how you're leveraging your passion for rowing in the automation space as well? Yes, thank you. Um, so one night I was walking around the block and I was thinking, you know, this is this automation stuff. It's so new to everyone in our company, right? Most IT teams don't do enough change management. And I was thinking, how could I reach out to my stakeholders and help them understand what we're trying to do and help them understand this new process? The new process for us wasn't just around automation. It was around using agile, going away from the waterfall model that we were also used to, and then trying this new agile model while we were um, introducing new technology. So I was walking around the block and I was thinking about a rowing race, right? Rowing races are so exciting. You walk down to the dock with your boat, you put it in the water, you know, someone's holding your boat while you're getting ready to start, you know, everyone, there's just all this excitement and passion. And then all of a sudden to start the race, they yell, ready, all row. And, you know, the gun goes off and your, your race takes off. And I thought, I wish I could use that somehow with automation. So people understand it's just ready. And then I thought of it. I thought of ready, dev, go, go as in go live. And that's when I created the ready dev go model. Uh, wonderful. So I truly love this ready dev go philosophy that you've imbibed within your automation practice. Uh, and uh, you mentioned that this philosophy was really aligned very closely to this whole chain management aspect, uh, which is, uh, you know, key facet of any automation program. Um, as you started your automation journey, uh, right, Marilyn, uh, what were some of the other key challenges that you faced? And in hindsight, uh, if you if you were to go back in time, what are the three things you would have done differently in order to alleviate those challenges? Yeah, I think that the first thing that I would have done is I would have picked a governance committee that was a little smaller than my initial committee. So when I was first getting started, I got a, a lot of advice from people about you need to involve this person in this department. You know, you need to involve that vice president. You need to involve this person because they're new, right? So I got all this advice and I wanted to do a really great job and I wanted to listen to my stakeholders. So we had quite a large governance committee. So I think the first thing you need to decide is, you know, where are you in your automation journey? And if you're setting up new technology, find a core small group of people. And I would say probably not more than if you're a small company, three people. If you're a larger company like our company, not more than five people. And then figure out what do you really want to accomplish during your governance meeting, you know, and, and what's the purpose of your governance? Is the purpose of your governance to help you decide the right automations? Is the purpose of your governance committee to help you prioritize those? You know, what are they really supposed to do? And then what process are you going to use, right? Are you going to have a fast track process where you could do everything via email? Do you want to meet, you know, um, you know, via Teams or Zoom or whatever process you use for any kind of online meetings? Um, or do you want to meet in person? How long do you want those meetings to be? So really setting up a robust governance process. Um, the people that you pick in governance should be people who have experience across the organization, but they also need to be able to make decisions quickly. So one mistake that I made up front is I had one person on my committee who it took, just took them a long time to make decisions. And so it kept holding us up. And I realized that's not that person's fault, it's our process. So I need to change and explain the process better 
So they understand the purpose during this meeting is to do X, it's to make these decisions. Um, I think the second thing um, that I would have done differently is that I would not have used a list that other people generated for me to follow up on, right? So I came into the process just a little bit late after some consultants did at our company, and they gave me a list of a hundred and some things that we should automate. And so I took that list and started to reach out to those stakeholders to verify it. And I don't think that was the best approach. I think if you're new to automation, the first thing that you want to do is start with something small. And if you have something on a list and you know it's small, then sure, follow up on that. But I think instead, maybe look within your own IT team, if you're setting up automation within IT, go around to your peers and find something that's small to start with. And that lets your people get some experience. And then I think the third thing that I learned that's kind of a funny thing is um, and that I would that I do this today and I will do it for the rest of my automation life. And it's never go live on a Friday. <laughs> it's a bad thing to do to your team, bad thing to do to your stakeholders, especially if you're newer in your automation journey. If you go live on a Friday and something goes wrong and you have to red hat a bug or some kind of error that's happening, um, it kind of ruins everyone's weekends. So we have that role on my team today, never go live on a Friday. Great, great insights. Just to add, I think the other key component that we keep hearing from our customers is also around this whole technology decisioning, right? Because if you look at automation, it's become far more complex uh, and it's today almost like a conference of multiple technologies, right? So you have RPA, then we have low-code, no-code, API integration, process mining, IDP, among you know a lot of other technology areas. So uh what's your uh, take on this confluence of multiple automation technologies which are coming in and uh, how easy or difficult do you think it is to uh, navigate this technology puzzle for an enterprise yeah i think this is really interesting um, and it's one of our biggest challenges right because when you listen to what people say about automation today they will say that all these things fit together Right. And you could just get this little add in or you could use an app here or, you know, get a little component there. And actually, it's quite complex. They don't all play well together. They um, it's complicated and it takes a lot of coding coding to solve for errors. One of the errors that we have sometimes is that it takes some things longer to process than others. Right. So you have to build in, um, you know, some time into your code. And what we felt is, you know, at first that we could design these really cool things, you know, where we could link a bunch of these technologies together, but they break. And so you have to really think through that and think, how do all these different technologies work and do we need them all? Right. So on my team today, we use basically two automation technologies. We started with three, but we found that one of them wasn't stable enough and it's not true automation. And it was just breaking too much. It was eating up too much of our time. Um, so I think the thing to do is, you know, pick a technology that's very stable and, and that might be difficult. You know, if you're a smaller organization, you might not be able to afford some of this more expensive technology. Um, and so it, it can be a challenge for you, but I have to say that you, you know, you get what you pay for. And so in our case, you know, we decided that we needed something very stable, something very robust, and it does come at a cost, but I believe it's well worth it. So really look to your future. You know, like sometimes um, I, I've spoken to a, a couple companies where they told me that, you know, in the case of the technology that we use, we use UiPath. 
and they didn't want to buy an enterprise solution. And so they were using the solution, I guess, that they could download online. And when I asked them how many, uh, or sorry, how many automations um, they actually completed during their last couple of years, they had never really completed anything. And it was because they didn't have um, or invest in the technology they needed um, to deal with their own systems, right? So they needed an enterprise solution, but they weren't willing to invest in an enterprise solution. You know, in our case, we did do that. And so our UiPath technology works very well with our internal technology. And we're a little bit lucky because it's also playing very well with the other automation technology that we bought. So really think about it. You know, when you're looking at the price of things, sometimes it could feel a little scary, but I have to say it's actually worth it. Okay, so I think if uh, I were to advise a smaller enterprise starting on their automation journey, I think the advice would be to pick a technology which is stable, robust, integrates very well with the existing enterprise apps and something, of course, which can uh, generate returns in the future for the enterprise. That makes sense. And Marilyn, I also wanted to shift gears a bit and talk about uh, the center of excellence aspect, which is, again, I think, probably the most talked about aspects when you talk about automation today. Uh, we understand that you have set up a dedicated automation COE at Spectrum Brands, and it's been very successful, right? If we zoom out and look at you know the Fortune 250 enterprises overall, our research shows that more than 90% of enterprises have already invested into automation, right? Uh, and they're doing it in a meaningful fashion today. However, uh, only about 40% of these enterprises today have a dedicated automation COE in place, right? Given that the majority of enterprises are really running their automation initiatives without a formal COE in place, how important do you really think it is to set up a COE? Uh, and can an enterprise build a successful automation program even without a COE uh, in your advice? Um, I think you have to have a COE. You know, your center of excellence should be where you strategize, where you manage your automations, where you operate, where you update. So to me, a center of excellence is where everything starts. Um, it helps you um, establish your process. You know, like when I talked about our Ready Dev Go process, um, we run that through our center of excellence, right? That's where we share all of our information. That's where people understand what we're really trying to accomplish as a team, short term and long term. Um, it helps them understand which systems we support. You know, we talk a lot about the automations that we've completed so people can go to, we actually have a site called Automation Central, and that's where we share all the information around our center of excellence. It helps people understand the automations that we've already completed so they know we can work with that technology. It helps them understand our development model, right? Um, so, of course, we're a really large company. So we've had the business um, while they're working on issues they're solving globally. Sometimes they'll engage with other companies who tell them, oh, you should automate this and here's how you should do it. Our center of excellence helps everyone understand that we have a centralized model and that they need to come to us to understand our process and how our systems work. We've actually had people in other places suggest that they should stand up a separate UiPath orchestrator when we already have one. Um, so our center of excellence also saves our company money 
you know, it was very easy then for someone to reach out to us to say, hey, this company is suggesting we use this technology um, and that we do it this way. And I said, actually, we already have that set up. Here's how we work today, right? So it's a great communication channel for people to understand our process. It also helps people understand what good candidates for automation are versus bad candidates, right? We give people that information in our center of excellence. So people don't um, start looking at automations that will help individuals. And instead, it helps them look for automations that will help an entire business unit. Right. So it helps people prioritize and look at automation the right way. So I think everyone needs a center of excellence. I think if you don't have one, um, you could end up wasting a lot of time. You can waste money um, and it could be a really rough journey. So talk about rowing, right? You can row on calm water. To me, that's having a center of excellence and a really clear plan. Or you could decide your, to row your boat out into a bunch of fog and really choppy water. And it's up to you. And I think a center of excellence is like a good start. It's like having a plan and a good start and a set of established processes that help people know where they want to go and how you want to do that. Again, I love the rowing corollary that you've uh, drawn, Marilyn. Uh, so we understand it's imperative for an enterprise to build an automation COE for a more structured program in place. Uh, interestingly, Marilyn, you've also touched upon two important aspects, right? I think uh, I'll dive into the first one first and then revisit the other one in a moment's time. But uh, you spoke about having built a centralized governance model for your COE at Spectrum. Uh, uh, as we are aware, I mean, there are multiple governance models uh, that enterprises are leveraging today for setting up the centers of excellences, right? Uh, the popular belief in the industry, and this is coming from a lot of primary interactions we've had, I think the popular belief is that, you know, you can start with a decentralized model or a centralized model. But eventually, I think there is this gravitation towards a federated COE model that is generally practiced in the industry, right? And people feel that this federated model is superior and has more advantages compared to some of the other models. So what are your thoughts on that, Marilyn? Do you agree or disagree with this notion? I totally disagree with it 100%. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, and the reason why I disagree with it is because to me, with a federated model, everyone's not necessarily on the same page. So what we have happening is that people have a lot of different ways of looking at things. And if we don't use a centralized model at our company, what we end up doing is wasting time and resources and things spin out of control. And so for us, a centralized model works really well because it gets everyone on the same page. Um, and I don't know if other people feel the same way, right? So I'm disagreeing based on my own experience. I may or may not be right about that, um, but what I do know is that whenever we start going towards a more federated model, things seem to fall apart really quickly in stakeholders. So not fall apart quickly from an IT standpoint, but our stakeholders seem to get really confused about where are we going? What are we doing? You know, what's next? How are we prioritizing? How does this really work? And it has just caused a lot of confusion. And to me, it's not worth the change management to try to help everyone understand. Um, so that's why we use a centralized model. It's just a lot easier for us. Sure. And probably this is also a function of the size of the enterprise, uh, Marilyn, uh, given that Spectrum Brands is a huge conglomerate. Probably that's why the federated model may not be as effective as compared to a centralized model that you currently have. It could be. Yeah. I, I don't know, you know, from experience, I haven't had that experience. Yep. So I can't really speak to that. But what I would encourage people to do is really start with the end in mind, right? So think about what are you really trying to accomplish? What do you, you know, what are the issues that you're trying to solve? And then 
where are you going? You know, at the end of the day, where do you want to go? And how can you accomplish, accomplish that, you know, the, with the easiest journey? right? Don't make it hard on yourselves. So think through your processes. And if you use a federated model, what processes do we have to put in place so that we keep everyone aligned? And if we use a centralized model, what processes do we have to put in place to make that work as well? So, you know, look at your automation journey and think this is a journey. This isn't a one-time decision. Also, things can change, right? So if you're today using a, you know, using a federated model and you're not happy with it, that can change, right? It'll take some time and effort to change something you've already started, but you can change. And if you're using a centralized model and that's not working for you, you know, that can change as well. So nothing with automation needs to be set in stone. I think that's a good thing to know because automation is a journey. We're all just learning and growing and technology is changing all the time. So, you know, perhaps in the future, you know, maybe you'll talk to me in a few years and I'll say, and you'll ask me, how's it going with your centralized model? And perhaps that'll change in a few years. <laughs> I don't know. Correct. I think very astute observations, Madeline. So we have to be flexible in the models. And of course, I mean, we may evolve from a centralized to federated or vice versa. Uh, so yeah, it's not set in stone. So absolutely makes sense. Yeah. I think you also touched upon uh, the other very critical aspect around process discovery. Uh, so as you look towards the next 12 to 24 months, what are the three areas within automation that you are personally the most excited about? I think that I'm most excited about supply chain. You know, when you look at what's happening around the globe um, in the whole supply chain arena, things are changing really, you know, they're changing rapidly. And so I think that that area is ripe for automation. I also think manufacturing, because supply chain is changing, manufacturing is changing. So I think that that's ripe for automation. And then because those two things are changing, of course, sales and the way things work today, that whole environment is changing. So supply chain, manufacturing, and sales are the three most uh, pertinent things that you're excited about. So uh, any final words of advice that you would want to leave our audience with, especially the ones who are just getting started with their automation journeys? Yeah, so I do have some vital, some advice. And actually, I have a top 10 list. So I'm going to run through my, my 10 key things. So I'll run through them really quickly. So first is make sure you have a process in place that everyone can understand you know, that will jumpstart your success. So for us, it's the ready, dev, go model. Remember that one technology probably won't solve all of your business issues. The next one is that, you know, agile works really well when you're trying to gain momentum and sell business stakeholders this whole idea of automation. So if you're using a waterfall approach today, be open to agile. Um, the next one is number four is the right team matters. Um, build a roadmap and share your progress. So build a little roadmap. Even if you're just getting started, decide like maybe this year we could do three things. What will the three things do? And then go and share your progress and advertise that. Um, another one, keep your assets organized. Um, it's essential for usability. Number seven is start small. Starting small will allow your team members to grow their skills. It'll also allow the business to get used to what you're doing, right? Number eight is stick with your process. Governance is key. So stay ahead of compliance and SOX. Um, number nine is keep iterating your process. We use start, stop, continue on our team. So we ask each other, what should we start doing that we're not doing today that will help us in the future? What should we stop doing that's hurting us? And what should we continue doing that's made us successful so far? And then the last thing is, if you're a leader in automation today, lead by example. 
Thanks for sharing your 10 mantras for successful automation. This was an extremely insightful conversation, Marilyn. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I'm sure our audience would have a lot of great takeaways from all that you had to share. Once again, thank you so much for taking out time to be here with us today. And thank you everyone for tuning into this episode of the Zenov podcast Hyper Intelligent Automation series. We will be back soon with another episode with another leader. Till then, take care and stay safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hyper Intelligent Automation series. Stay tuned for more such interesting episodes. You can listen to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. To get more insights on how you can make your automation strategy count, connect with us at info@zenov.com or visit our website www.zenov.com. Follow us on LinkedIn at Zenov for regular updates on our content. Thank you again for listening to the Zenov podcast.